0: God's got a powerful word for us today, and we just worship Him because He deserves all the glory, all the honor for all that He's done, all that He's doing, and all that He will do. And and Lord, we're just honored. We're just so humbled, so grateful, Lord, to be a part of it. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much to welcome us in, and you love us even greater to transform us, Lord, into your likeness while we're still here on earth, Lord, and we just look to you, God. We receive your word, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. Spirit come, faithfulness, Lord, faithfulness, you are my faithfulness. Who gives me strength Nothing It's You who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible through You. Blind eyes are old. Your word that I can do anything, you give me strength to do it. Help me to have faith to believe. Cause you were good, you were good, greater trust greater obedience, greater submission to your Holy Spirit. Through you, I can do anything. I can do all things, cause it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible through you. Blind eyes are open. Strongholds are broken. I am living by faith. Nothing is impossible through you. I can do anything. Come on, church. I can do all things it's you who gives me strength nothing is impossible through you blind eyes are open i want to see strong Too big, nothing is too small for him to work through me to bring about his glory. Cause I wanna see your glory. When the darkness fail, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve. Search-
1: you, drummer, to do, I want you to pound it out like a march. We're going to say, you know what, Jericho was meant for evil. Jericho was a fortified city, but you know what God did? He said, you know what, that thing that was meant for evil, I'm going to turn it around for good. I'm going to cause my glory to come forth from that thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing that. We're going to be marching around our Jericho. Come on, we're going to get that drummer going here. We're marching around.
0: a tribe of Jews i Play- be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise. I won't stop praising because you are unchanging so i won't stop praising you are unchanging so i won't
2: him this morning? you praise him? you continue to praise him? You know, the scripture says that it's better for us to praise him because we don't want the rocks and the stones to cry out. You know, I don't want some inanimate object that hasn't found the grace of Jesus Christ to praise him more than a person that's been redeemed. Aren't you glad you can praise God? Aren't you glad that your voices can be lifted up to a God who loves you and is yes. compassionate and cares for you and wants you to see that, that you live a life of purpose and a life of destiny and a life of blessing? Aren't you glad for that? You know, aren't you glad that you're not living with the way you used to be? That the grace of God came into your life and flooded you with His goodness and His loving kindness? You know, I tell you, God wants to do great things through you and in you, and sometimes even despite you, God wants to move through you. Amen? you can be seated you know it was interesting uh, god's been doing some amazing things this month for us is la- this last month it's already february i don't know where january went but january was kind of like a whirlwind for us we did our daniel fast you know and we had a, a powerful powerful time doing that we had our our, our uh, baptism in the holy spirit retreat which was beautiful we had people that had just experienced god in a new way and it was just very powerful then we went into the thirst conference uh, last weekend, and we had a, a great time. Actually, Friday, Friday evening, the thirst conference we had was just amazing. The presence of God was so beautiful here; you could almost cut it with a knife. It was so so intense. And then we had the Teen Challenge Choir with us, and celebrated with them on Sunday. And then this last week, we had some some uh, some amazing things. Where's Pastor Lee? Lee, will Pastor Lee do not Do you stand up? Do you still have strength to stand up? This is Lynn's father. Woo! And where's my dear Rima, our perfect interpreter? Stand up, girl. Don't you be shy. Okay. These two, they went and they, uh, you can be seated. They went and they did a Friday night from 7 to 10, Thursday night, 7 to 10.30 at night. And then Friday morning from 7 to 10.30 in the morning. And then Friday night from 7 to about 10.30 at night. And then Saturday morning from seven in the morning, and we had to get here early, remember, okay? And they got here from seven in the morning till about 10.30ish, 10.45ish. And they taught 30 pastors in central India, the book of Romans. And it was powerful. It was, It was. and this is the amazing thing. You know, we talk about how our faith is activated and how our faith is real. You know, faith without works is what? According to scripture, it's dead. You know, we could. We have. A, I know a lot of people that talk the talk but don't walk the walk. And I tell you, my my father-in-law, by the time he was getting ready to start teaching on Thursday night, he was all stressed out, worried. He's never worked with an interpreter. He never worked, you know, never traveled overseas to do any kind of things like that. He was like a cat on a hot tin roof. I mean, he was all over the place. And then he comes in and sits down, and and Rima walks in, and Rima's all like you know, all nervous. And he's sitting there. She goes, oh, you look calm. He goes, I'm calm on the outside, but I'm stirred up on the inside. And he was just great. He did a marvelous job. And actually, this is them sitting in my office uh, teaching. Go to the next slide. This is a picture of some of the pastors. There was also a bunch of pastors that were remotely uh, watching and and, uh, following through. It was a great opportunity for us to put our faith into action. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that I I often look at in scripture is, what does scripture teach us? And, And James, the brother of Jesus said this, he says, let me put my readers on, he says that religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself pure from being polluted by the world. So it's not just about us, it's about taking care of others and ministering to others and serving others, and equipping others, and empowering others. You may never be able to walk in Mahadra Pradesh, India, but these pastors are going into that area. And this is the area where we built over the last two and a half years. We built seven or eight churches uh, in the last two and a half years for these pastors. There are severely persecuted pastors that we are training and equipping. And they're going to be raising up the next generation of leaders to reach that nation for the Lord. So we're really excited about that. You know, and and one of the things that is interesting how God works is, uh, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's an interesting passage in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse uh, uh, 30. It says, if one could put a thousand to flight, two could put 10,000 to flight that talks about exponential growth as we work together as brothers and sisters in the faith. And one of the things that's amazing is that that is what they call in in theology, they call it the belief of agreement. That when you and I agree together, there's a spiritual synergy that happens. There's a spiritual process that happens that in ourselves, we can't do it to the level that God wants, but when we come together, this is what's interesting. Scripture says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in your midst. So where two or three people get together and agree on something, God is there in their midst. And what we want to do is we want to empower people, and we, we are a community of faith that believes in the empowerment, not just of, of the pastoral team, but every single one of you. God wants to empower you to your fullest potential in what you can have in Christ. God, there's no second place people in the kingdom of God. We are all at the foot of the cross, it's level, we're all the same. And our goal as your pastors are to empower you to be the men and women of faith that God has destined you to be. And so it's exciting when we see this. And, And I was looking through some of the things we did that we've done over the last month or so. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says this, in Proverbs 14, 20, it is a sin to despise one's neighbors. You know, that neighbor of yours that's really that thorn in your flesh, you know what God's called you to do? Pray for them. God's called you to love them. God's called you to, to bless them and 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 reach them with the love of Christ. They're, they're going to know we're Christians not by what we say but by our love. Yes. And then it says this, And blessed, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. If you drop down a few more chapters in, in the book of Proverbs in chapter 19 verse 17, it says this, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. You know, God, God wants to reward you for your kindness. You know, it's not just a one-way thing. God wants to bless you so you could bless others. It, we don't hold it in. We, we're not, you know, uh, uh, recipients of God's grace and we don't share it. It's about sharing the love of God. The kindness of God is what Scripture says will lead people to repentance. It's not you preaching at them. It's you having opportunities to be kind and loving. And when you're talking to them, you expose the nature of who God is, a compassionate, loving God. You know, and I love what it says in 1 John 3, verse 17 and 18. He says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is what we talk about here about putting your walk to your talk. You know, how many of you know people that talk about doing great things? You know, they talk, they'll talk your ear off, and man, they could be very convincing at what they tell you. But when it comes to the rubber hitting the road, they're like gone. They don't do anything. And that's not what we want to do. So, this last couple of weeks, we've been sharing about the uh, Pastor uh, Kieran and her husband Samuel in uh, Kathmandu, Nepal. Let me see that. What'd you do with it? How many of you like this jacket? Toasty, warm, down jacket, good insulation. I bought it a few years ago when we were going to India in the wintertime because it was cold there. Well, we talked to you about the uh, Chipang people in uh, the Himalaya Mountains. And if you go to the next slide, the picture of them hiking up the trail, those are Sherpas. How many of you know what a Sherpa is? A Sherpa is a a person from Nepal that when they go, uh, when people go to climb Everest trekking, They will hire these people because they have incredible physical stamina and high-altitude climbing. They could climb at high altitudes for hours. They don't need oxygen like all the foreigners that go into the country. They are carrying over 400 North Face down jackets that our congregation bought for this community, okay? i got to take it off because it's too hot. And so if you go to the next slide, this is, uh, this is a nine-hour trek. They had to go up into the mountains. Pastor Kieran and her husband Samuel and a team went up there several weeks ago, and they saw an incredible need. People were cold. They were hungry. They didn't have proper clothing. The Chepang people are some of the poorest of Nepal. And they, they, she said such a burden. She contacted Pastor Lynn and said, you know, mom, she calls her mom, calls us mom and dad. She's like a spiritual daughter to us. She says, we have to do something. And our church raised almost nine grand to fund this. No one else did it but us, this, this community of faith, right? And so they're trekking. That water is actually snowmelt from the Himalayas. Can you imagine how warm that is? Go to the next slide. This is them hiking. I love the fact these guys are in flip-flops they're hiking they're hiking up in the Himalayas over crags and rocks and through streams wearing flip-flops you know and this is where their destination the next slide that's the destination where they're going that village there that's way up in the Himalayas the mountains are like this and they took the gospel in and this is what i love what scripture says in proverbs 29:7 it says the righteous care about justice for the poor but the wicked have no such concern And and then they come in and they come in. The next slide shows you them unpacking. Look at all of the stuff they they trekked up. That is all food, clothing, just the love. This is the love of Jesus being translated into real life. This is what we're called to be. We're called to be people who love the world. You go to the next slide and look at these precious, precious children. Aren't they just gorgeous? You know, three generations, a grandmother, a mom, and two little girls sitting there. Go to the next slide. This is uh, Samuel passing out some of the North Face jackets to the, the tribe there. You can see the, the brother in the backside there wearing one already. Go to the next slide. This is one of the older uh, ladies and the little kids in the background celebrating, just very thankful. Go to the next slide. This is the, the kids. Look at the look at the elevation they're at, the terraces in the background, how high it is, okay? You're way up in the Himalayas. The next slide. This is what Matthew Jesus tells us, when you do it to the least of them, you do it to him, you know, and I don't know about you, my wife shared a couple weeks ago, I don't know how many jackets you have, I have like two or three North Face jackets, I'm just thankful that we we're able to sew into this country, you know, and one of the things that's so so beautiful and so tangible is that when you sew into people, God does amazing things, and I'll go to the next slide, this is the, the community, some of the people with wearing, that's Kieran on the left wearing the beige and the black slacks, and her husband Samuel over on the right side. They're both pastors, and they're both uh, people that we support as our ministry partners in, in Nepal. Go to the next slide. Look at the beautiful smiles on those beautiful faces of those sisters. Isn't that great? I love the gal down on the bottom next to the one with her hands over her face. She's just like glowing with just feeling the warmth of the, the love of Jesus over her. And then this is the, the next slide, my wife likes these because she says, uh, if you notice ladies, the men are doing all the cooking, you know? She, she really liked that. She said, they're my kind of gals and my kind of guys. Let the husband do the cooking, you know? Go to the next slide, this is uh, them preparing these. They carried all this up with them. The next slide, this is this is water buffalo. How many of you have ever eaten water buffalo? Anyone besides us have? We're the, we're the only two? Have you ever eaten? Okay, we have four of us here that have eaten water buffalo. It's a little bit more gamey, but it's it's a delicacy in in that that part of the world, in in uh, specifically Nepal. We were there a few years ago, and they uh, went to the market and bought water buffalo for us, and they gave us the best part, you know. And it was just it was it was filling. But this is a treat. That is probably a whole water buffalo they took up there to serve the people. Go to the next slide. This is the men once again. My wife's favorite picture: men cooking. Uh, go on the next one. This is them passing out the uh, the broth that goes on top of the rice and the water buffalo. Look at the lines; how long they are. There's over 400 people that they, they served. Go to the next slide. We want the people. There you go. Isn't that amazing? They're just sitting there waiting. Go to the next slide. They dressed up in all their fancy camisas and saris. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. Go to the next slide. This is what, you know, I, I love this because when Jesus was in the temple and he, he was, he was uh, reading the, the scroll, he, it was actually turned to the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus actually spoke this prophetic word of what he was to do. And then, as his followers, this is what we're to do. We're to, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, when the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us, we are to preach and be anointed to proclaim the good news and the love of Jesus. To the poor you know we live in one of the wealthiest wealthiest regions of the world and god has called us to sow into those that are less fortunate and i I tell you i am so thankful for what god has done as a result of this act of grace we will be eventually building a church there for them as well uh and if you go to the next slide this is a beautiful picture of uh if you're you're here a couple weeks ago we had a similar picture where uh Solomon was up preaching the good news of Christ and everyone's sitting on the floor with no jackets, cold, shivering. Now they're warm. You know, and if you know anything about people's needs, you know, Maslow's uh, uh, need of hierarchy basically says that unless you take care of their safety and security, they're not going to be able to move further into anything. We can't expect people to hear the gospel when they're hungry and cold. And we didn't give them these things so they would convert to Christ. But we gave it to them as a tangible expression of our love for them. And I tell you, when you love people, it doesn't matter. They, they know it. They feel it. They sense it. And so we had, as a result of this, there were 47, 46 people that wanted to know more about Christ and gave their life to Christ as a result of it. And so that is the tangible message. That's the reality of us being people of faith. It's not just talks, folks. You know, people, there's a lot of big talkers out there, but when it comes to actually doing it, they'll, they'll farm it off to someone else. And we want to make you strong men and women of faith. We want you to be people who know what it means to be a follower of Christ. And it's not all about self. It's about denying yourself so that others can hear the gospel. And you and I may never hike there, but I tell you, they want us to go there in October. We're supposed to take a trip in October to uh, this village. And I told my wife, we better start doing stair steppers because nine hours of trekking. Uh, She's already been looking for uh, hostels in the area that we can go and maybe stay at. You know, they'll drive us up and we'll walk a couple hours. But we're going to, you may never walk on those, uh, those plateaus, but you will be responsible for people coming to know Christ. And we we are going to sow into that region and sow into it. And I love this next picture of of them praying for this elderly gentleman. And then the last picture we have of them is just some of the the kids in the neighborhood. Look how precious those little faces are. Aren't they adorable? You know? And this is the tangible message of Jesus. They will know you're Christians by your love. God so loved the world that he gave his son so that we can love the world and express the love of Jesus to them. So what I want us to do this morning, if you all have been served communion, has everyone gotten their elements, their little cups? I apologize, some of these cups are very, very difficult to open. Uh, if you're like me and you don't have fingernails, there's one up here, Michael. Uh, anyone else, raise your hand if you don't have it, and we'll pass them out. Um, but uh, they're a little bit uh, difficult to open. Uh, I don't have fingernails, and I couldn't. It took me like five minutes to open. I had to actually use a piece of uh, paper to slide it under to get the tab lifted. But, you know, the the reality of what Scripture tells us about as a disciple of Christ is that when we take communion, we should evaluate ourselves. And I want to ask you this morning, are you talking the talk that matches your walk? Because that's what it's really about. Are we basically being people that say something but don't do it, or are we people that say it and do it? And I want us to be a community of faith. I don't don't know about other churches. I can't be responsible for that. But for our pastoral team, we want to be people that live it and breathe it and walk it and, and talk it. But we walk it before we talk it. You hear me? So Scripture says that before we take communion, and here at Crossroads, you don't have to be a member of this church. You just have to be a follower of Christ. But it says this. It says before you take communion, you should examine yourself you don't want to take communion in a manner that's unworthy. And taking communion in a manner as unworthy is basically not acknowledging your need for the Lord. So Lord, right now we just come and we ask you to forgive us if there's anything in our hearts that is not pleasing to you. Lord, we don't need someone else to point it out. We ask that your spirit would. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would point out to us any areas of inconsistency in our walk and our talk. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be men and women and young men and young women that would not be ashamed of what you're trying to do in our life. But Lord, we would be open to allow your spirit to change us to be more like Jesus. And I pray Father that you would forgive us of any sin in our life that is crept in and tried to push you to the margins of our life. And I pray that Lord as we do that, we are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt because your word declares it that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and remove our sin as far as east is and from west from us. So, Lord, right now as we take the bread, we ask that you would bless it to our bodies. We ask, Father, that your spirit would allow each of us, Lord, to remember what you did on the cross for us, remember how your love sent you to the cross to be broken for us so that we could have a relationship with a loving and a compassionate God. So, Lord, we bless this bread in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Shall we partake of the bread? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for us. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness that was spilled out for us so that we could have a relationship with you. Scripture tells us that when Jesus was in the upper room in Jerusalem, he took a cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant. And I love this so much. I don't know how many times I'll tell you this as your pastor, but I love the fact that it's a new start for us. That when we celebrate communion with the Lord, it's basically him saying to us, today's a fresh start. The slate's washed clean, everything's new. And that the, the blood of Christ is what cleanses us and empowers us. And I know this is juice, but according to what Scripture says, it's it's the blood of Christ flowing through us. And I pray that the, the, the body and the blood of Christ would be manifested through our life every day, not just here on a Sunday morning when we're sitting together all being holy, but when we're walking out with people that don't know him, that we could manifest Christ to them as well. So, Lord, we bless this cup, and we bless the... The symbol that it represents of a new covenant with you, and so Lord, we just ask that you would bless it to our bodies now in Christ's name. Shall we partake? Thank you, Lord. Let's sing, Rebecca. Sing us that. uh, Lead us in that song of making room one more time.
0: And I will make room for you. do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to lord and i will make room for you to do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to i will make Do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to, Jesus. I will make room for you. To do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to.
2: May that be our prayer every day. That's what the Lord wants. He doesn't want us to do all these other things. He just wants us to be in love with him and manifest that love to every person we come in contact with. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. It's going to be a great day. Pastor Lynn's got a great sermon. It was powerful. You're going to get really blessed. If you're a guest or visitor, if you haven't been here in a while, or we don't have your contact information, in the back of the pew in front of you, there's a thing called a communication card. If you'd be kind enough to to give us your name and address and print. If you could print that on there and drop that in the offering we'll be taking in a minute. Uh, We don't share that information. We just use it uh, within our community here to keep you informed of what's going on. Uh, We have uh, on Wednesday nights, we've started up our Crossroads Connect. Uh, We have the women, the women meeting here in the sanctuary. They're going over a study called Surrender. It's looking at the life of Jesus in the wilderness. It's a great teaching time. They meet at 7 p.m. Uh, uh, the men's fellowship or men's ministry is meeting down the hall here in the second wing over here Uh, they're studying a a study called relationship it's a study of the Ten Commandments and how the commandments affect our life uh, today and how they're uh, uh, challenging us and helping us grow that's a great opportunity for you to plug in guys and then the youth meet over in the fellowship hall here because they have way too much energy and they've, they've got a lot of wiggles to get out they meet from six Six, Pastor Nick? Six to eight, not seven to eight. Uh and sometimes they go eight thirty because they have a lot of energy. So Pastor Nick's got a great thing going on for them. Uh, we want to encourage you if you are not getting our daily devotionals, we put out a, uh, I put out a devotional uh, Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturday this weekend was crazy. I apologize if you didn't get one on Saturday. Uh, but I, we're going through the book of Romans, a study verse by verse study. and then Pastor Lynn puts out her filled uh, to the brim. you can find that on YouTube, just type in "Filled to the Brim and you'll see her her uh, face up there. She, uh, she does a five to seven minute uh, devotional. ten minutes. she's telling me now, maybe 15 next week. Keeps getting longer, you know. Uh, But it's a great opportunity for you to plug in to hear the word. Uh, And also our sermons. You can hear our sermons online. It's a great way to share. Uh, message with someone. You know, a lot of times you don't get everything the first time around. You want to hear it. It's a great opportunity. They're all online. You can go to our, our Crossroads website or you can go to the Crossroads Facebook page. If you don't get Facebook, if you're not a Facebooker, uh, you can still go to our website and download those. They're all available. It's a great way to to share what God's doing here in our community of faith. Uh, the, our ministry partner for the week uh, is uh, Pastor Swapna Nayak. She's uh, a single mom who lost her husband a few years back. Uh, she's got four children. Uh, uh, Pastor Lynn and I help uh, with uh, the ministry there. She is also a uh, she's the first female pastor of Northern India. And she's also the women's ministries coordinator for Northern India. Uh, She is a great little fireball for the Lord and her kids are just amazing. Actually, the the young guy in the front is actually almost as tall as his mama right now. We haven't seen them in a couple years. We'll see them in March when we go to visit. Uh, But pray for her, pray that God protects her, provides for her. She leads a church. She has a single mom with, with uh, four kids and then also leads a regional ministry. So uh, pray that God would protect her. She's in a very difficult part of the world right now for believers. There's a lot of persecution going on against uh, Christians in that region of the world. You don't hear about it. But uh, God is protecting her, but we want to cover her with prayer. Uh, We're going to wait upon you for your tithes and offerings right now, and if you have a communication card or a prayer request, you could drop that in as well. Let's pray. Father, we bless uh, Swapna and her family and her church. We bless Kieran and the work she's done up in Nepal. Father, we bless this offering. We ask that you would use it for your glory. I pray that we as a church would be good stewards and managers of those resources. I pray that you'd bless each gift and giver, no matter how large or small it may be. I pray that you'd help those of us that are giving in this offering this morning to be good stewards of the resources you've given us. I pray you'd give us a strategy on how we should handle our finances so that we can use it for the best of our ability and so that we could sow into the world and into the nation around us, Lord. And now I pray that, Lord, you'd just bless both gift and giver. In Christ's name we ask. God bless you. Amen as you give.
0: This is my surrender.
1: Surrender some things today. Every time we are in the presence of the Lord, we are being changed. Go from glory to glory to glory. Lord has more for you. The Lord has way more for you. Today, and actually there's gonna be a theme going on. We have a new theme called I Believe. We're gonna go into our I believe series. Because I believe the Lord has said that he's going to increase our faith and believing him for what he has promised us. So we're going to go after some things in our own lives. And we're going to let the word of God come in and be rooted and planted. And we're going to make room for the word of God in our lives. That means when we make room for something, some other things have to go. So we're going to make room. You know, it's interesting. We just got done with the Thirst Conference, I Thirst for You, Holy Spirit Conference. And if you were here during that time, it was a powerful time, especially Friday night was a powerful time. I felt like there was a breakthrough over this house, a breakthrough for, uh, historically, spiritually over this house. And we're not going back. We're going forward. God has powerful things, and he is going to exercise our faith in greater ways for his glory. And that doesn't mean just Pastor Lynn's faith. doesn't mean just Pastor David's faith. It doesn't just mean the board of uh, this church's faith. It means your faith your faith for your life, for your situation, for your circumstance, because he has given each one of you a promised land. I am so fired up. I have the fire of God in my bones. But that's going to be multiplied in this house this year, 2022. God has something for you. Put on your seatbelts. God has an adventure for your life. And it comes through believing God's word. You see, we talk about this church being a muscle church, which God told me quite a few years ago, this is going to be a muscle church. We do some heavy lifting. You know, muscular people are not necessarily big in size as much as they are strong. Right? And the fact is this, we don't need to be fat. We need to be muscular, right? And we want this church, God has called us to be a muscle church doing heavy lifting. The Chapang tribe reaching them, 46 people coming to know the Lord says we are a muscle church. And what seems impossible that was listen, that tribe had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not once in the history of that tribe. And now they have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just heard it, but experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we believed God. Because we believed what he said. Because he asked us to do something, we said we'll do it. Because we believe. Today I'm going to talk to you about believing in his word. Believing in God's word to you. The Lord is calling us to participate with him. Not to be a spectator. I don't really like when uh, we want to see God do something, but we don't want to participate in it. God is not a showman. He, and the fact is this, when we're young in the Lord, when he's teaching us, he does have us watch. That is true. But it's not to watch for watch's sake. It's to watch and learn. Right. Watch and learn because we will participate with him. And that's when we begin to exercise our faith, is when we participate with the Lord. Today I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to really make room for the Lord to confront you, for the Jesus to confront you on any area of your life that you have unbelief. I don't care how old you are. You could be a teenager here. You can be the oldest person in this room. But the Lord is growing us in our faith and belief in him. Hebrews 4.2 says this. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, just as the Israelites also when the good news of the promised land came to them. And we're going to talk about that. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united with faith in God by those who heard. You can can know all the promises of God in Scripture, but until your faith is united with those promises, those promises will not benefit you. Israel is the example Paul is writing here. and We're going to visit that story multiple times today because I want to show you how they had the opportunity to believe. Some did, two did, ten did not. But that message is still true to us that we have to believe his word. You know, it's interesting because the truth be told that it should have only taken uh, Israel 11 days to go into the promised land. But it took longer than that. It took 40 years and 11 days because they did not believe the word of God spoken to them. I'm going to talk to you about the spies, the ten spies, and Joshua and Caleb. We're going to look at that in Numbers chapter 13 when they return from the promised land. And see what they say here. 13 verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Let me just point something out. They know the word God has given to them. They know the seed of God's word. This is your promised land. This land belongs to you. They know the word, but they believe in the weed. What's the weed? They focus in on the problem. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. The seed of the word versus the weed of the enemy. The sown weed of the enemy is look at the problems. Look at the circumstances. Look at the impossibility. And the word of God to them was this, this is your land, go and take it, I am with you. So these spies, 10 of which did not believe, Numbers 1330 tells us that Caleb and Joshua believed. Then Caleb silenced the people because they began to react to the impossibility. They began to react to the negativity of the ten spies. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Numbers 14:1 through 3. This is what happens, though. Although Caleb and Joshua in the minority, do not, uh, th- they believe in God's word, but the ten spies do not. The ten spies cause the, the people to be influenced to not believe, to have doubt, to have unbelief. That night, verse 1, on chapter 14, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? They believed in the word of the enemy, not in the word of the Lord. There's a contrast here between belief and unbelief. Caleb and Joshua believed for what they could not see. They believed for what they could not see, and the ten spies focused in on the challenges of the scene. See, Caleb and Joshua saw the land that had defeated giants and a defeated fortified city, whereas the ten spies saw the giants in the land, saw the fortified uh, cities, and they believed that the enemy's power was greater than their power. See, when we're functioning in unbelief, we're actually believing that the enemy's power is greater than God's power in us. Doubt regarding God's word exalts the enemy's power over the power of God in you. I'm going to say that again. Doubt in regarding God's word exalts the enemy's power over the power of God in you. In you. See, this is the truth about the Israelites at this point in their life. They had seen the power of God. They had seen God bring the, the plagues into Egypt and do miraculous things on their behalf so that they would be delivered. They had, seen, they had the season of watch me do it. Now, God is saying, now you come and do it with me. I'm growing you up. You're going to exercise your faith. I have shown you who I am. Now you start stepping out because I have given you my word. Now I want you to believe my word. See, going into the promised land would require their faith, their action, to activate the power in their lives. Not in somebody else's life, in their own lives. But rather, they saw the enemy's power greater than the power of God. And that's all that they focused on. Not on the word of God, but the weed of the enemy. The power of the enemy. Number 1333 says this. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I'm going to stop here for a second. Because when we doubt God's word and we doubt God is with us, we have an interesting self-perspective. We actually have a self-criticism. You know, there is nothing holy, by the way. There is nothing humble. There is nothing meek about self-criticism. It's not, it's not holy and it's not meek. But rather, it gives opportunity to not believe that God is with you. Actually, self-criticism... Produces God criticism. We don't believe that God can do it because we don't see that God is in us to do it. And actually, that self-criticism produces a critical spirit where it kills life around us. So let us focus on, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers. The enemy is more powerful. And what happens is we're being played into the hand of the enemy to look at ourselves in the way the enemy wants us to see ourselves. So that we don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that we don't uh, take action regarding the word of the Lord for our lives. So what they did is they became self-critical which produced God critical, which produced critical, which produced death in the wilderness. So they died outside of their promise. They wandered for 40 years. They died outside of their promise because they could not see themselves the way God saw them and what God had told them. They didn't believe. See, what does it say here? They did not unite the Word of God with their faith. Now, when we actually unite the Word God has given to us with our faith, what does that look like? Well, it looks like changed thinking. If you're going to look, see, they looked like they had grasshopper mindsets. But if they had united their faith with the Word of God, they would have had the mindset of Caleb and Joshua. Surely we can take the land. God is with us. But because they did not unite their faith with God's word for them, they did not have the changed thinking. And our changed thinking actually produces different decisions in our life and different actions in our life. Just like Pastor David said, faith without works is dead. If you actually believe, you will act it out. If you really believe, it will take life in what you do. Not just what you say, but what you do. And you find that that's what uniting your faith with the Word of God looks like. To not have the mindset of the enemy, but rather having the mindset of the Lord. You know, it's interesting because being self-critical and critical of others does produce death. Actually, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how David, when he was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant out of the Philistine territory and And he was dancing before the Lord and his wife, Michael, was up in the window. And she was critical of David's praise and worship and belief in God and abandonment to the Lord. And what it produced in her, that critical spirit produced death in her womb. She was cut off. And the same mentality, the same truth is for us today. When we fail to believe God, when we fail to uh, embrace his word, to surrender ourselves to his word, we will walk in barrenness. See, the the results of not mixing faith with God's word, Numbers 14.22 says this, Surely, all the men who had seen my glory and my miraculous signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times. These ten times. Have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice. Will by no means see the land Which I swore to give to their fathers, nor will any who treated me disrespectfully and rejected me see it. Now, he says a lot here. This is the Lord speaking to the spies. These ten times. What is he talking about? How many spies rejected the word of God for them? Ten. Ten. What is he saying? Each one of you are responsible. Not just as a group. You're responsible for your belief. I'm going to say this to you today. You're responsible for your belief. You're responsible for what God wants you to believe him for. You're responsible for whether you're rejecting the word of God. You're responsible for whether you're disrespecting the word of God. You're disrespecting the word he is giving to you. The word that he wants you to stand on. The word that he wants you to mix your faith with it. You are responsible. I am responsible. We, you know what, we talk a lot about us as a community of faith. And Pastor David and I and the leadership here, we're responsible to, unto God for believing God on behalf Of this congregation. But I'm going to say it goes further. You are responsible. You know what? Don't blame it on my husband. You know, I can't believe God because of my husband. You know what? God did not say, wait for your husband to believe on God. He said, you believe. You believe. Don't say, my mama didn't believe. Therefore, I can't believe. Daddy didn't believe. My culture. My church. My la 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 la. He didn't say that. He said, do you believe me? Do you believe? I hold you responsible. It's interesting because this is a group-oriented culture. And yet God says, he identifies, I hold you individually responsible. Every spy, individually responsible. See, because the truth is this, your belief is between you and God. And you have to take responsibility. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 11, 12, 16, 17, 80, 45, 45. You are responsible for your belief. And the fact is this. If you look at this scripture, which Paul refers to in the book of Hebrews, this story, when you're not believing God's word, you're disrespecting the Lord. You know, we paint this picture that it's okay that we have unbelief we kind of like harbor that as some sort of okay ground. That it's okay that we don't believe what the word says. That we don't believe what the cross did. What's wrong with us people? The fact is this, we are to believe and it's a dangerous slippery slope when we step into cultivating unbelief. And Paul is using this story of Israel to show it in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6, 4 says this, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Now Paul is using the story In the book of Hebrews of Israel, to show forth how the ten spies in Israel's unbelief produced death, although they knew the truth. Although they had experienced the miraculous, we have tasted of the goodness of God. We have been participants or seen God's deliverance. Listen, we sing that song, He brought me out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, that story is about salvation. That story is about deliverance when the Lord brought them out of Egypt. But what were they to do? Once they were saved, they were to believe God's word. You're saved. You're saved. I'm talking to believers today. Your job is to believe God's word. Believe what he said. Believe who Jesus is. Believe what the cross has done for your life. Believe in all the promises of God that are for your life. And to not do so is sinful. Oh, we don't like that for some reason. For some reason, we don't want to accept that. But the Lord is going after our unbelief today. He's confronting our unbelief today. If we have areas of our life where we cultivate unbelief as if it's okay. It's a dangerous thing to cling to unbelief when the Lord has showed you differently. It's a slippery slope. You know, you wonder how people leave the faith. You wonder how you say, oh, that person used to be a Christian. They're no longer a Christian. Now they're doing all kinds of crazy and they're talking all kinds of crazy. I have people even in my own heritage of faith, own relatives that have tasted of the goodness of God, have seen God's power in their lives. And now when they recount those things, because they have allowed unbelief to take root in their lives, they recount those things with such cynicism. Come on. The Lord has called us to believe. And it's disrespectful when we don't, when we reject, when the Lord has come to us and confronting our unbelief. Listen, do you say, well, Pastor Lynn, do you ever have unbelief? Surely. But it's not in the correction. It's in the rejection of the correction. It's not in the correction because we're growing, but it's in the rejection of the correction. When we reject the Holy Spirit's work, when we reject the presence of the Lord coming in and saying, listen, I want to change your mindset regarding this. I'm bringing you in to belief regarding this. James 1, 6 through 8 says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You know what? And I'm talking to believers here. We're a muscle church. I'm, I know baby, babies in Christ, they have opportunity for, to grow. And the Lord, a lot of times, has them watch. But I'm talking to muscle Christians. I'm talking to those of you specifically that have been in the faith enough, long enough to participate with the Lord and exercise your belief here. That when we don't do that, we're rejecting the Lord and we are being unstable in all of our waves. We're undependable to the Lord because the Lord wants to use our belief to use us for His glory. See, when we fail to believe him, we become useless. We become useless to him, as this scripture says. See, our unbelief in what Jesus has done for us is disrespectful, particularly now more than ever, even more so than what the Israelites experienced, because you have the Holy Spirit in you. So when you're choosing unbelief, you are rejecting the Holy Spirit's work in you. You're rejecting the word of God that's in you. See, the fact is this. The Lord wants you to walk in your promised land. Caleb and Joshua believed God's word, and they were blessed. They were blessed because of God's word, because they mixed their faith with God's words. Numbers 14, 24 says this. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, If you have a, if you ever write in your Bible, I do, wholeheartedly. He follows me wholeheartedly. There's no room for unbelief. All of him belongs to me. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Verse 30, not one of you, he says to the spies and to the people, will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephna, and Joshua, son of Nun. Why? Because they believed God. They believed God, and God speaks about them as having a whole heart. The condition of their heart is whole towards the Lord. There's not, you have nothing else in front of me, but rather you have a heart, a whole heart devoted for me. The fact is this, Caleb and Joshua's Belief in God's word revealed their heart's condition. Listen, our our heart's condition is actually revealed in our believing God. You may not like that, but it's the truth. It's interesting because I was thinking about Joshua and Caleb. And the truth is this. They had established they would believe God in their private world before they had the opportunity to publicly declare their belief in God. Your private world and what you say and your declarations in your private world are significant to when you have to publicly declare what you believe. The word of the Lord. See, the enemy cannot nullify your declarations. A declaration actually is a, a, a legal term. We, we have the, the Declaration of Independence. We all know that. And that's what we base our legal system on. It's a legal term. When we, see, Jesus has done this work for our lives uh, through the cross. And when he did so, there was a transaction. And when now we receive all the inheritance and the rights and privileges of a son and daughter of the Lord, and therefore we have the authority and the power for Declaration that is in agreement with His promises, in agreement with what Jesus did on the cross. But you know what's interesting about people? Sometimes at church, when it's a group or whatever, and we're feeling a little bit like, Woo, "We will make a declaration." But what about your private world? What about when you're by yourself? What about when all the feels are not there? When the worship team's not there to help you out? When the the traffic is crazy, when the situation, when the bank account is kind of looking a little slim, when the teenager is rebelling, what about those moments? What are those moments? What are your public declarations versus your private declarations? The Lord says, I want the private declaration. What's really going on? And we see here Joshua and Caleb had both a private and public declaration. I'm saying this, it should not be any different The Lord wants to deal with, see, this is the thing. The Lord speaks about Caleb and Joshua wholeheartedly follows me. In other words, I know their heart. I know their private world. And the Lord, in our unbelief or in our belief, he deals with our private world. Of whether we're going to believe him privately so that when the opportunity comes, we declare it publicly. You have to make room for his word. See, God's word to Joshua and Caleb about the promised land already dwelled in them, was already existing in them. They, they uh, would not allow the word that God had given to them be compromised by the majority. They had made room for his word. The word is what they had watered. The word about the promised land is what they had watered. Not the the, the challenges, not the impossibilities, but they had watered his word. You know, we have to make room for his word. His word transforms us. His word changes us. You know, Jesus speaks about that, making room for his word. He, when he's speaking to the Jews who believed on his name, the Jews who believed on his name, he confronts them about making room for his word. John 8, 36 says this. Jesus says, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, Jesus is confronting the religious. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. They took pride in being Abraham's descendants. Abraham was the one that believed in God's word. He believed in the impossibility to be made possible. And Jesus says to them, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. You know, it's interesting that a lot of times we want to stomp out the word God has given to us because it's irritating to us because it's going against some of the things that we're holding on to just like Abraham's descendants, just like when Jesus was speaking to to, uh, them. See, he was confronting their traditions. He was confronting the, the way that they thought. He was confronting their pride. He was confronting their arrogance. And he was saying, you're not making room for my word. And if you want to be free, you got to make room for my word. Listen, believers. Listen, Christians. If you want to be free, some of you that you you think it's okay for you to walk in some form of bondage, you can't be free from it. But the truth is this, he's sending his word and he's saying, Believe me, believe me, I can free you from those things. But you got to make room for his word. Some of us have a long history with God, have a long history with Jesus, been in Christians for a long time. But the problem is we're not making room for his word. And the Lord has new territory for you. He has more for you. He has greater things for you. You know, some of us, we've accepted fortified cities in our land rather than saying we can take that city. We've accepted giants in our land rather than saying we can take those giants. But it comes with when we make room for his word. They wanted to kill Jesus because they didn't like the word. The word confronts our flesh, you see. The word wants to confront our flesh so that we have to deny our flesh and increase in our spiritual life. You know, it's interesting about Joshua and Caleb, too, is that they were in the minority. They were in the minority. You know, the ten spies killed their word. But the ten spies could not kill Joshua and Caleb's word. So you can have people around you trying to put, you know, poison on your word. But the fact is this, they can't kill your word unless you let them, unless you agree with them. The world around you wants to kill the word. You know, it's interesting. These spies were brothers, To Caleb and Joshua. These were God's people. You know, even there's Christians. There are Christians that want to go around and kill the word because of their unbelief. Because it exposes that they're wandering in the wilderness themselves in doubt and fear. And the fact is this. You don't have to let people kill the word that God has given to you. Woo. So Joshua and Caleb would receive the promise because they believed. But you know, the truth is this. They had to wait. Forty years, they had to wait until the new generation arose. But God did not forget the promise, and they continued to believe the promise that God had given. You know, I want to say that many of us, we want to have the majority around us help us believe God's word. Joshua and Caleb are an example of not allowing that or not needing that. And I'm going to say you do not need the majority to support you in the word the Lord has given to you. You know, the Lord is actually... I think sometimes it's designed that way for you to be in the minority because you have to exercise your faith in a greater way when you're in the minority. You know, you don't need the scaffolding of the world. You know, scaffolding is, is it, something that supports a building, right, when it's being remodeled, restructured, whatever, to keep it up. You know what? You don't need the scaffolding of your family even to support the word that the Lord has given to you. Joshua and Caleb didn't need those things, but they still continue to believed the word, and when it came time to go into the promised land, they still had believed the word that God had given to them. The Lord is speaking to some of you because you are so influenced by the scaffolding of human support around you. And the Lord is sending you today the word. You don't need that to believe the word I have given to you. So Joshua and Caleb, 40 years later, they get to go into the promised land because they believed 40 years prior. But you know what? Their obedience to the Lord took on an unexpected strategy. It's interesting because actually Joshua had victory over Jericho 40 years prior. His victory came 40 years ago when he had believed God regarding taking down the giants and the fortified cities. He had already had victory. So he knew God was with him. What the challenge was for Joshua is to believe in the strategy God had given. You see, the fact is this. God gives us promise. And he tells us what he's going to do. But sometimes we have a problem with how God wants to do it. We want God... We, we say, I believe your promise, but we don't want the how. And Joshua here... In the story of Jericho, he has to believe God not just for what God wants to do, which he had believed 40 years prior. But now he has to stretch it a little further and say, I'm going to believe God for how he wants to do it. The strategy, because this strategy is not what I've seen before. Because Joshua was a military leader under Moses. Joshua had that background, and here God is stretching his faith to say, now I want you to believe me for the how, how I'm going to accomplish the what. Some of us, we get stuck in the how God wants to do it. We believe the Lord wants to save our child, but it's in the how God's going about it that we have a problem with, because we're tugging on God to do it in a way that's comfortable to us, and the Lord is sending his word to you today to look at at Joshua and say, I am guiding you in the how. I want you to believe my word for the how. Oh, come on. That's a word for somebody around here. It's interesting because Joshua and Caleb both had overcome the need for human approval. So Joshua was able to lead the Israelites into the how. Because he doesn't go around and say, what do you think about this? Do you think we should go around seven times and be quiet? He doesn't do that. And actually, even later on, when everybody's going to distribute, their, their, be, get their piece of land, what does Joshua tell them? He says, you know what? You all need to decide whether you're going to serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, you know what? I don't need you to support what I'm going to do because I believe in His Word. Some of you, you need to get there. You need to get there spiritually. You need to get there in faith to say, you know what? I don't require others to support what's going on because I am believing in His Word. See, Joshua is able to function in the how. Because he had believed God's word, and he didn't need human support. You know, you see Caleb, too. Caleb goes into the promised land. Caleb's interest. You know, remember, Caleb's older than Joshua. Actually, Caleb's about 21 years older than Joshua. Caleb represents the older generation here. Joshua, a younger generation. Caleb goes into the promised land. And you know what Caleb does when it's time for the land to be distributed? He asks for the hardest territory. He asks for the hill country with the giants in the land. Joshua 14 verse 10 says this. Now then... Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While well, Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. You heard that 40 years ago you heard that that was true but the lord helping me i will drive them out just as he said my faith is just as strong 40 years later then joshua blessed caleb son of Jephnah, and gave him hebron as his inheritance so hebron was belonged to caleb son of Jephna and kenazite ever since because he followed the lord the god of israel Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. There's no room for doubt. There's no room for unbelief. I can take the hill. Some of you, you say... You know what? You don't know my story. You don't know my family. You don't know the problems with my family. My family is hill country in the promised land. And I'm telling you today that you can take that land. That no matter how tough it is, no matter how impossible it looks, no matter what the world says about it, that Caleb is your example, that you can take the land the Lord is with you. You are to believe him. You are to believe him. It's interesting about Caleb's land in Hebron. Actually, for Caleb's land in Hebron is where King David is anointed. Actually, Caleb's tribe, King David, will come out of Caleb's tribe. Caleb is from the tribe of Judah. He is a tribe of the worshipers. But it's interesting in this land when he's taking it, he's getting rid of the fortified cities and the giants in the land. It's interesting because we find in the story when he's having his daughter and her husband take part of the land and help him defeat the enemy there, it tells us that there's springs of water in that land. There's springs of water which represent... The Holy Spirit. When you talk about springs of water, when you talk about the waters in Scripture, it represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. So his daughter replies, Do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in the Najab, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. Let me just say this. Don't try to fight the giants in the fortified cities without the springs of water. That's your fuel. That's your refreshment. Water gives you energy. Now, there's two parts to that. It's to be drinking from the fountain of the Holy Spirit, but it's also about worshiping. This is the tribe of Judah. This was the worshiping tribe. This is the tribe that went out before the tabernacle. This is the worshiping tribe. Do not believe that you don't need, now that you're in the land, that you don't need the Holy Spirit Drink it from the fountain. You need the fountain. You need the waters to take the land. He also removes the gods from the land. He confronts them. Verse 13, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. I will drive out the giants just as the Lord had said. He believed God's word. He acted on it. You know, I just want to challenge you in this word. Because so many times people believe God's word as long as it's supported by the way you feel or by what you see. And the fact is this, that's scaffolding. You don't need to feel a certain way. God's word is, is true and it doesn't matter how you feel. Listen, all it takes is a bad pizza or a hard night's sleep or a rebellious child, or a empty bank account to affect our belief if we're requiring how we feel. But the Lord has not called you to need the feel. Now, the feels are great. I love them. They can perpetuate. They can help. But you know what? That could be an idol to us. It could be a stumbling block to us because the Lord wants you to believe his word no matter how you feel. You know, unbelief is a slippery slope because it causes us to accommodate sin and not embrace the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Actually, going back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? When we harbor the sin that the Lord has freed us from through His Blood on the cross. We're trampling on the work of the cross. Now, unbelief is really connected to this because many times people harbor sins. Unbelief is a sin. Actually, Revelation 21.8 tells us that. But when we harbor unbelief, it actually accommodates sin. So in other words, let me just explain it. We don't believe God can free us from a certain sin that we have a habit of doing. We don't believe that. And therefore, the unbelief that the power of the cross is greater than that sin, that unbelief harbors the sin. That's the danger of unbelief. We trample on the cross. We trample. We say that that sin is greater than what Jesus did on the cross. We say that his blood is not powerful enough to free us from whatever. Fill in the blank. That's sin. We are trampling on the blood of Jesus. That's why we're going after unbelief, because it's a slippery slope. We have to beware of accommodating and ignoring or accepting unbelief as an okay thing. The truth is this. It's not okay. Now listen, the fact is this. The Lord wants to confront those areas, and we should not reject the confrontation. You say, well, does that mean I'm going to hell because I have some things that I'm not believing God for? You know what? It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is when the Holy Spirit comes to confront you on it, you need to receive what the Holy Spirit's doing and not reject. See, that's how we grow. That's how we grow. That's how we grow in our power and authority. But the fact is this. We become hardened hearted if we reject the Holy Spirit. If we reject what he's speaking to us and we become like what Jesus said to the, the, those Jews who believed in his name that they called themselves Abraham's descendants and he said, you know what, you want to kill the word because it offends you rather than making room for my word. See, when the Holy Spirit is coming and confronting areas where I have unbelief in my life, we have to make room for his word, to receive his word. Let that seed of his word be planted in our lives. Where's it, Tim? Come on up here. You see, the fact is this, Jesus' blood paid for all the promises of God. And now we are people of his promise. We are people that believe in his promise. Scripture says. I love this scripture. In 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of the promises of God. Are yes in Christ Jesus. And what do we say to it? And so through him. The amen is spoken by us. To the glory of God. So all of the promises are ours because of what Christ Jesus did for our life. All of the promises. Are you believing in the promises of God? Or are you saying through unbelief that that there are certain promises that are not yours? When Jesus paid for those promises. You see, the mind of the Spirit thinks with possibility, not with impossibility. I'm going to say that again. The mind of the Spirit thinks with possibility, not with impossibility. You know what? We told the story about the Chipang tribe. And we told the story. It was a victorious story. A church is being planted, 46 believers. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to tell you how Pastor Lynn is very imperfect in this process. So you don't think I'm preaching at you in a way that doesn't accommodate our human Walk with Jesus. So when Kieran had asked to meet with me, the fact is this, I was pretty tired, and I kind of put off meeting with her. Finally I met with her. And if you know the time change, it's about 13, 13 and a half hours or something like that. Enough to be really tired when they want to talk. So we met with her she told us the story and in my mind i thought you know what i can come up with about two thousand dollars i think i can find two thousand dollars with you know the different areas of general funds women and world so i'm in my head thinking about that and she said to me you know what uh, you know let's not talk money i'm gonna go and i'm going to price out you know the coats that i want to buy and all of that so I said, okay, dude, so, and then we'll should communicate the need a little bit later. But in my head, I had said $2,000 is what I'm going to give her. Now, she came to me that evening, my evening, her morning, and she said, you know what I need? This is what she told me. I need $4,800 for coats. I need $650 for food. I need $250 for the Sherpa. And you know what I thought? Do you think I'm a bank? That's what I thought. My carnal mind said, Do you think I'm a bank? I didn't say that to her, but I thought it. And I said, But I'll tell you what I did say. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you God's work. I said, Well, Karen, I can only give you $2,000. I can only give you two. So you. you know and some of us who know the word we can we can try to spiritualize the $2,000 and so I said you know what work with that make it stretch you know let God multiply I said all the right things right or all the things that looked right but were still fleshly so then I went uh, on my day we got off she says being the gracious person she said okay thank you you know we appreciate that money so we'll just make that work and I went and I was in time of prayer and the Lord said um hello hello why can't 400 people have a coat why can't they have a coat and I'll tell you right right then the Lord was confronting my unbelief and I said they can't Lord because you said they can so I felt so convicted I went right back to communicate with her and I said Karen you know what I'm going to go to my people. I'm going to go to the support, and I'm going to ask them. I'm going to tell them your story, and let's just see what God can do. Fast forward more than enough. $9,000, and I want you to know not just $9,000, which is great, but 46 new babies for Jesus and a church that will be planted because I believe See, your belief is a juncture. Your belief is a crossroads to the trajectory that God has for you. Now, you can live in unbelief and never see God do anything and wander in the desert. Or you can say, listen, he can take the fortified city. He can take the giants. What is impossible to me is possible with God. And I will believe. Jesus confronted the the man who had the demon-possessed son. This is the theme scripture for the thirst conference where Jesus goes and the disciples can't deliver the boy. And at this point, this boy has a stronghold of demonic activity because it's been year after year. A stronghold is fortified. It's something that has gone on for a long time. And so it co- it's gone on so long that in our mentality we begin to believe that it cannot have any change or freedom that's what fortified is some of you have things that are fortified in other words it's gone on so long you're having a hard time believing that god can change it so jesus comes to the man in mark chapter 9 and the man says, "If you can do anything, Jesus, and you know what Jesus says? Uh, excuse me, if I can. If I can? some of you, the Lord said, uh, "Excuse me, if I can." And you know what the response of the man is, He shrieks, cries out, this is the Father. This is not even dealing with the demonic boy. This is the greatest, the greatest breakthrough is for the Father. It is changed thinking and believing God. I believe, help my unbelief. And what Jesus does is he helps his unbelief because he says, we're going to fill that unbelief up with belief. And he does so. And some of you, I'm going to say, he wants to fill your unbelief up with belief. Some of you, you got to believe God for miracles. And you don't want to. You don't want to believe him for miracles. You want it to be done an easy street in the way it is done for the, to the world. And the Lord's saying, no, I have set this before you to bring forth glory so that you have to believe me. You have to believe my word. Oh, right now, I feel like the Lord is saying, I feel like the Lord is saying, some of you, If you're having to believe God for something, a miracle, a miracle in your home, a miracle in your finances, I want you to stand up right now. You stand up. Stand up right now. We're not in the line. We're not in the line of the ten spies. We are in the line of Joshua and Caleb. Do you hear me? We're not in the line of the ten spies. We're in the line of Joshua and Caleb. We will believe God. We will believe God to take down the giants. We will believe God to tear down the fortified cities. What is? Impossible to man is possible to God. For those who believe, I'm going to say this to over you. I proclaim Ephesians 3.20, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or imagine according to His power that is at work in you. You participate in this. You participate. You don't stand back and watch. You participate. Come on. We're going in and taking the land. Come on. Give me the hill country. Give me that hill country. Surely I can take those giants down. I can take down the fortified
0: cities. Come on. Let's sing it. Come on. Let's sing it.
1: THE WAY THE ENEMY WANTS YOU TO THINK ABOUT YOURSELF, RATHER THAN THE WAY GOD SEES YOU, WHAT GOD HAS DONE FOR YOU, THE POWER THAT'S IN YOUR LIFE. AND YOU KNOW, SOME OF YOU you DON'T WANT TO DO ANYTHING FOR GOD BECAUSE YOU'RE AFRAID THAT THE ENEMY'S GOING TO ATTACK YOU, SO YOU DON'T DO THAT BECAUSE YOU'RE AFRAID OF THE ENEMY AS IF HE HAS GREATER POWER THAN YOU HAVE, BUT HE DOESN'T HAVE GREATER POWER THAN YOU HAVE BY THE WAY. REMEMBER WHAT JESUS DID ON THE CROSS FOR YOU? HE DISARMED ALL OF THOSE THINGS. HE HUMBLED THOSE THINGS. HE disempowered THOSE THINGS. over. Your life over your life quit believing the enemy scare tactics and get out there and say I'm taking the land I'm taking the land for my family you know what I may be the only one believing for my family there may be others around that aren't believing but I'm going to be in the line of Joshua and Caleb and say I believe I believe and I'm going to tell you your belief is going to be blessed by God and there will be verification and the others will see the goodness of God because you've believed. And it's gonna be contagious, why? Because you're walking in greater power and authority. The mind of the Spirit thinks with possibility, not with impossibility. Let's pray, Lord. Woo come on you have just broken open something lord this house you have broken open you started with the thirst conference you broke it open we're in a new territory we're in a new dimension there are going to be things that you're going to do through those who believe through those who believe you're going to do immeasurably more than what they can ask or imagine Because of the power of God that's dwelling in them for those who believe. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work in those who believe. So, Holy Spirit, we believe what you said. You know, you're going to teach, you're going to go into new regions. Lord, and if there's unbelief, you're going to pull belief into those unbelieving areas. You're going to teach us, you're going to correct us. And, Lord, we're going to respond to your correction. We're not going to reject your correction. We're going to respond and embrace your correction and step out in belief. Step out believing your word. Step out believing what Jesus did on the cross. Stepping out in who we are in Christ. We believe you, Lord. We believe your word. You will find faith on the earth because we'll believe. There will be faith on the earth because we're going to choose to believe. We may sometimes be in the minority but we will believe thank you Lord so Lord as everyone goes out to their lives, to their assignments to their territory, to their land of promise, they're going to take down giants, they're going to take down fortified cities and they're going to glorify you because they believe in you, Lord we thank you for this word in your name God bless you as you go and go believe it I
0: believe i yeah.